Good morning, everyone. A wonderful message by Pastor Chance this morning on from Philippians 2 about not grumbling or disputing. And it deeply convicted me. Uh, this week I failed talking with two different neighbors, one of them from church, uh, not being humble enough in my conversation not being thankful enough in my conversation, uh, kind of expressing uh, my opinions a little too much and showing concern for, you know, expressing my disagreements with maybe how the government's handling some things uh, and showing forth my opinion a little too much and not expressing an attitude of thankfulness and of gratitude enough. And for that, I uh, am sorry. And and we'll strive to be better and express uh, an attitude of humility in the future and of thankfulness, gratitude, and how I can maybe perhaps use the conversation in moments to express how I don't know everything that's going on. I don't have all the right answers but what I do know is that God is sovereign, that God is good, and that he's doing, he's working out evil things and uh, things that I don't understand for good, ultimately, like we read in Romans 8, for believers. And some of that good is, is just our sanctification. Uh, COVID-19 has sanctified me. God has used these moments to humble me through Pastor Chance's sermon and how I failed this week with two people in particular. I also failed this week with my wife for with other issues. But it's it's again a a humbling experience to go through life. And it's why we need each other as a body to preach to one another, to teach one another the word and the truth and to model Christ's righteousness to each other and so that we can all be better and grow, grow in the body together. So I'm thankful for that. The Lord prepared that message through Pastor Chance for my own life as well as for my family in the future. And we could look back to that, that message and that section of Scripture and learn uh, often. And I'm realizing like that section of Scripture, uh, how important it is to not grumble or to dispute and to be really careful how you do if you are going to have to argue with somebody or dispute, to be really careful how you do it with your attitude. What is your attitude in the moment? And are you expressing godliness as you do it? If you do have to um, not quarrel or fight, but to defend uh, truth and to point out truth with a spirit of gentleness. And I, I think that is the, the difference and the distinction. So this morning I had, I had prepared um, a last view on Romans 13, a kind of a, a more of a, a broad, deeper background theological perspective to incorporate uh, the view of God's sovereignty and as well as angels um, below God and how, they, um, how God interacts with human affairs via himself and angels and other humans. And we'll look at some of those passages of scripture that I had for us to read. I want to, I'm going to read all of Romans 13 first, 
uh, Paul tells Timothy to give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And I believe it's very important that we read Scripture publicly, small portions and large. And in the future, gentlemen, this is, uh, I want you to listen, all the men in, in class especially. It's something that I want to change about our class in the going forward in the future is I'm going to ask and start looking for men to read larger sections of scripture before we begin our class, specifically the passage that we'll be covering, but going forward, um, probably about a chapter, a chapter's length. And I believe it's good for God's people and for us to read scripture, to hear it often and and to read it together as an obedience to God's command. So begin this morning reading from God's word, Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, the government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake, personal conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing, to justice, to punish evil doing. Verse 7, render to all what is due to them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, meaning honor, and honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Romans 13, read from the New American Standard Bible. Now I want us to look back this morning at Romans 13, 1, section B. 
and specifically, for there is no ex- authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Okay, so for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Romans 13.1. I want us to consider this. I want us to consider the authority that God is talking about, where authority comes from. Let us consider the varying levels of power and authority as described for us across the pages of Scripture. So I'm going broad, broader. I'm going across these pages of Scripture, broad theological context and scenario. And I'm asking that we would add into our discussion of government the spiritual authority behind the people, the human beings, namely, specifically, God and angels. And so I hope you're ready to dig in here a little bit for a few minutes and that we can look at some verses where God and and spirits and angels are being talked about in relationship to human beings. All right, first the first verse I want us to look at and we've looked at this verse in the past is 2 Corinthians 4 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to start in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So we learn that the gospel is veiled to a specific group of people, specifically those who are perishing. Okay, the people who are not believing, the people that are ending up in hell. The gospel is veiled to them, and we're going to learn what Paul wants us to learn about that truth. Why is the gospel veiled to the people who are headed to hell? Why can't they see it? Paul says this in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4. These people who are perishing, these are the people in whose case... This is the spiritual reality behind what's going on in our normal everyday human life and human existence. This is the spiritual reality that lies behind our physical world. These people that are perishing, who the gospel is is hidden to them, they can't see it, it's veiled. These people... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And so we learn that in Paul's mind, these people that are perishing are those that are the unbelieving. So we know that these people aren't believing the gospel. They're the unbelievers. They're the non-Christians, the people that reject. It says that these people, their case is that the God of this world has blinded their minds so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so if we look at this verse, we learn that Satan is referred to here as the the God of this world or this age. And that's really important. I want you to, if you're taking notes or if you want to key in on this, this, that's kind of what I want you to key in on. One of the things that I'm uh, organizing in this lesson is uh, names and titles for Satan, specifically the God of this world. And so we're going to compare this world, this present world system as compared to the kingdom that's operating behind the scenes. And that's separate and that's future also. 
So we have Satan is referred to as the God of this world. And in this verse, it means the God of this age or this time. Satan has the power to veil the gospel from people's minds and hearts. Look at what it says in verse four. The God of this world has blinded. Okay, so Satan in this, in this context and in this verse has the power and the authority to blind people's minds. Now this, what this means goes against so many people's understanding of human autonomy, human freedom. Uh, a lot of people will talk about freedom of the will, freedom of the mind, freedom to act. Uh, but this verse is uh, showing and pointing out to us that human beings, the unbelieving, are not as free as they think they are. And that there is a spiritual reality going on behind the scenes that they are totally unaware of. And that we're talking about now. And that God has given us revelation of what's going on behind the scenes so that we can understand and comprehend and be mature in our thinking. The reality is, is that Satan, the God of this world, has the power and authority to blind people's minds. Namely, that is, people who are unbelieving are unbelieving because Satan has the authority to blind their minds. And Paul says, so that, the result of that, the reality is, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan has the authority to blind people's minds. They are the ones who are unbelieving. And that is so that it might be shown so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Well, how could that be God's will? How could God authorize Satan to have such power that he can blind human beings from seeing the glory of Christ in the gospel? Well, the text just says that's the way it is. So let's, let's consider what Paul is saying there. And let's, let's move to another passage which describes it similarly. We'll go to two more passages in the New Testament that describe it similarly. And then I want us to land in some Old Testament passages as well this morning. So uh, the next verse is going to be Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Many of you are familiar with this passage, what it says and teaches. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, we'll look at what it says. Paul says this, And you, Ephesians, the Ephesian church, the Ephesian congregation, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And so Paul links the course of this world and the power of the prince of the air, a reference to Satan. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of the wrath, children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying the same thing in a different way, essentially. It's the same truth. It's the same concepts. So Paul is, uh, but we're, we're adding 
uh, another way for us to know for sure that we're we're reading Paul rightly. We're understanding what he's saying. Let's look at let's look at Ephesians one and two here closely. Paul says this: "You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked." And so we all formerly live this way. All Christians formerly live this way, and you can read that once again in verse three. So we all formerly walked according to the course of this world. Just as Pastor Chance talked about the children of the devil and the children of God are separated by a demarcation line this morning in his message, that's essentially what's being described here, is that there is a difference between this world, Satan's world, the prince of the power of the air, and God's kingdom, Jesus Christ's kingdom on earth, which is the spiritual reality and the spiritual kingdom. And we're a part of this physical world and we're to live as lights in this world. But we're supposed to know what's going on and we're supposed to live with our minds matured, groaned, or with growth. And we're supposed to groan for the kingdom to come and we're supposed to pursue righteousness and we're supposed to correct people in a spirit of gentleness because these truths are helping us understand uh, the spiritual reality behind the physical world we live in. So we all formerly walked according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the reference for Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of obedience. Okay, so we have Satan here referred to as the prince of the power of the air. He's the one who is in charge of all of the disobedient descendants of Adam. Notice the term, sons of disobedience are those who he's over, and he is working in those people. There is a spirit, the prince of the power of the air, that is working in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is working in disobedient people. He's at work. He's at work in them. And Satan is in charge of of the course of this world, which is the sinful course of the world, the lust, the desires of the world, that's all being influenced, and its course is set by the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan. So ultimately, the course of the world is evil, rebellion, disobedience, and that's set by Satan. He is setting the course, and he is working in the sons of disobedience presently. And he's working to destroy Christians as well, to destroy their witness. And that's why we must put on the armor of light and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we just read in Romans 13. And obey and pursue righteousness and to do what is right and be lights in this crooked and perverse generation. Uh, Satan appears to be the one who's in charge of the course of the world, the sinful direction of this world, as I just said. Paul ropes himself in as being disobedient too. And until Acts 9, when Paul has a miraculous conversion, Paul says that he too formerly lived in the lusts of his flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and was by nature a child of wrath, just as everybody else was. And so Paul says, that was me. That was me one time. Every pastor uh, who's ever been called to preach the gospel and every person who's in the church now that is a true believer. We were all in the lusts of our minds and flesh, and by nature, children of wrath, we were sons of disobedience in whom Satan, the prince of the power of the air, was working in us. And so now let's move on to our last verse, which emphasizes 
this truth perhaps the most definitively for me and the way I understand it. Go to 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2. Second Timothy 2, chapter 2, uh, we'll start in verse 24 and then read 25 and 26. This is what Paul says to Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, who he placed in, the, in charge there to teach and to preach along with all the other elders. You can read that in Acts 20 all the elders at Ephesus, all the pastors. Paul says this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all people. Able to teach and be patient when you're wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, meaning in opposition to your teaching, your truth, your gospel, to the church, to your witness. Why? If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Okay, let's take a look at this verse. Okay, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach and be patient when wronged. And the question is, why should the Lord's bondservant, why should his pastors be this way? Why should the teachers be patient when they're wronged? Why should they be patient with people? Paul's going to tell them why. He's telling Timothy and all pastors' future why they need to be patient, why they need to be gentle, continue to teach, continue to preach, be patient when wronged, con continue in gospel ministry, be faithful, teach the word, read the word, be devoted to teaching and preaching with gentleness, correcting those in opposition. Because it's up to God, it says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. Timothy, you are to command them to repent and believe and to teach and preach the gospel. But you need to understand that it is God who grants repentance to the unbelieving, which leads them to the knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses, which means Paul is saying that they don't have their senses. They don't have their mental faculties. Remember what it said in the previous in 2 Corinthians how Satan has blinded the minds. They don't have their mental faculties. They aren't able to see the truth. The gospel is veiled to them. It's hidden. They can't see it. Satan has blinded their minds of the unbelieving. They need to come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Now look at this, snare of the devil. What does this mean? It means that Satan has them trapped. And the next verse talks about having them captive or imprisoned. So Satan has people trapped and imprisoned, and they don't even know that. They don't even know that. They don't even know that they're held captive by Satan, that they're trapped by Satan and in a snare by Satan. Most people don't even believe there is a devil. Uh, the unbelieving deny God and deny this spiritual world that we live in. But notice what it says at the very end of verse 26. They are 
They are held prisoners of Satan, by Satan, by him, to do his will. So human beings are on the sinful course of this world, the children of the devil, the sons of disobedience. They're held, they're prisoners of Satan and they're held captive by him to do his will. They're doing Satan's will, which is sin, rebellion, disobedience, disorder, uh, no kindness, no gentleness. Uh, do people do those things that are of the sons of disobedience? Yes, they do. They can do uh, many charitable good deeds and acts and stuff like that. But that does not mean that they uh, are born of God. It does not mean they're born of God. And we can get into that in another time. But this is what I want you to see, is that Satan has power over people individually. He has people held captive by him to do his will. And so we must all learn, just as Paul is instructing Timothy here, to be patient, to be gentle, to be kind as they teach and they correspond and they seek to correct those who are in opposition to the truth, that we do so in a spirit of gentleness, that we correct people in a spirit of gentleness because we know that they can't see and that it's up to God to grant them repentance. But we preach the truth and we pray to God to grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they would repent and believe. And then we pray that God will give them the gifts of repentance and belief Okay, a couple more verses that I wanted to, to read about Satan, his involvement in the world and describing the, the kingdom of Satan, kind of, in the kingdom of God. This is what 1 John says in chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God, talking about the children born of God, as John describes them in 1 John. We know that we are of God and that the whole world separation here. John is separating the the children of God from, from the children of the devil in another way here. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So what I want us to see here is that the world lies in the power of Satan. John in his gospel, chapter 14, verse 30, John says this, I will not speak much more with you quoting Jesus here, Jesus says, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming. And so John says, the world lies in the power of the evil one. And now Jesus is saying, and John's repeating here for us, that the ruler of the world is coming. So he's a ruler and he has power in the world. And he has nothing in me, Jesus says. Okay, John 16 says this, uh, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so this phrase, ruler of the world, is used twice here in John. And the world lies in the power of the evil one. And now let's listen to Luke. Let's, let's hear what Luke says in Luke 4, verse 5. And he, the devil, led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, 
I will give you all this domain and its glory. I'll give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Okay, Satan is saying that the world belongs to him, and he can give out its domain and its glory and the power to rule over the world, basically to whoever he wills or he wishes or desires. Therefore, Satan says to Jesus, if you, Jesus, worship before me, it shall all be yours. I'll give you the whole reign of the whole world. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so contrary to what Satan exampled in his life, Satan fell and rebelled against giving God glory and sought to glorify himself. Jesus perfectly aligned with the will of God, the Father, and said only God, only the true God, is worthy of worship and praise. I cannot worship you. You're not God. Jesus, I want you to notice something. In this passage, Jesus did not dispute with Satan about what he said with regard to the world being his and its authority, and its power, and its glory, and its domain. Satan had its domain. He was the the ruling one. God had granted Satan to rule and to reign over the disobedient sons of the earth. Then he has a power over men. God has granted uh, fallen humanity to Satan's reign, into his domain, and to all the nations that are fallen. Jesus doesn't dispute with Satan about his about his legitimate offer. However, Jesus refuses to worship him. And so that's, Jesus doesn't correct Satan as as if he was wrong for thinking he ruled the world. He did, he does. But he rules it in the way in which God's granted it to him. The devil rules over the kingdom of this earth as granted by God. God has Satan, but this is what I want us to know, is that God has Satan doing things for God on this earth as God has designed and authorized. God has granted Satan the domain of the earth. God has granted that Satan has authority and power to blind the minds of the unbelieving. God has granted the course of this world, the sinful direction of the world to Satan. But it is Satan who still serves God ultimately. God's, nothing's out of control. Nothing's out of order. God has everything ordered just the way he wants it. And he's granted Satan the power and the authority that he has to do exactly the things that God has granted him to do. God is still orchestrating, decreeing, and authorizing all that happens on earth. Satan can't do just whatever he wishes but only as God has allowed him to do and to speak. And so when Satan tempted Jesus, that temptation was authorized by God. That temptation was authorized by God. And we can learn of this if you read back in Job, the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2. long ways, long ways back, Job 1, Job 2. In Job 1, 12, it says this, 
The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he, speaking of Job, all that he has is in your power. So God's granting Satan to have access to what God was doing with Job on the earth at the time. He's giving Satan access to Job's life now and what's going to happen in Job's life. Only do not put forth your hand on him, Satan. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord to strike all that Job had in his power. It's now been turned over to Satan's power. And then uh, we can read Job's life and a story of of what happened. Basically, all of his business uh, was destroyed. His servants were slain. His sons and daughters, okay, Job's children were all killed. Now, that's very, that's very hard for us to accept. Job, God's servant, God allowed Satan to kill his children. What a tragedy. And yet somehow we have to trust in God that he's working all this together for good for Job and his life and for God's glory. But God allows Satan to take his children's lives and his servants and all of his business, all of his wealth is destroyed. All of his uh, animals, all of his livestock are taken and destroyed. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped God after hearing all this happened. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. So Job understands that ultimately it is God. Though it is Satan who is taking away, Job understands that it is ultimately God who is taking away, that he understands that God is sovereign. He may not understand all the details and how all that happens and transpires, but he gives all the credit to God for giving and for taking it away in the way in which it was taken away, which if you read, it was very harsh ways in which all of his things and children were taken from him. But he worships God. He doesn't curse God. And there's a powerful lesson there for us. But I want you to understand here that Satan is the instrument in God's hands doing all of this in Job's life and in his children's life and in his servants and his wife and and the surrounding peoples and lands there. Notice what it says in Job 2. Job is then granted by um, Job's health is granted to be underneath the power of Satan as well. So Satan's going to strike his body with major health issues, uh, boils, and very, very painful sores. Satan tempts God or questions God and says, you know, he'll curse you if you give me his body. Um, and God says, you can have his body. You, have, you, can ha- you can give whatever sickness you want to his body, only spare his life. You can't kill him. So I give you all the power to give him all kinds of disease and ailment, but you can't take his life. So Satan has the power to kill Job's life with physical um, sickness and, and health. So you have this spiritual being, Satan, who can come and f- 
and make physical things happen in his body to where he gets sick and has extreme pain and sores and boils and say it says he'll 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 curse you if you give me his his life like this if you let me give him all this sickness and pain and his health of his body and god says go ahead but you just can't kill him so satan can't kill him though god puts a limit on satan's activity god limits God's aware of all that Satan can do, and he authorizes and he limits Satan in what he can and cannot do with an individual's life. With an individual's life. Job, namely, here in this section. And this is what it says uh, later on in verses 3 through 7. What I want to point out in verse 3 is, is this. Let's read it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my certain Job? And he's going to let Satan go forward with his body. There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him. And so God's saying that, Satan, you incited me. And so I, I want to point this out, is that God is saying that ultimately, while I granted you, Satan, the access to do this to Job, you are the one who incited me, and it's ultimately me and my hand through you that's doing this to Job. And that's the point the author wants us to see here, is that that's how sovereign God is. It is ultimately God, capital M-E, me, that is incited against his own servant, Job. And God himself is the one who says this, you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. And how did I ruin him? It was through you, Satan. I granted you to do the deed. But it was ultimately me, ultimately God, who authorized and limited what Satan could do. But God says it was me that did it. And that's why Job could say, just verses before this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's it's all underneath God's sovereign hand. All that transpires and takes place on the earth is underneath God's hand. His limits, what he limits and what he allows, it's all decreed by God down to the smallest detail. Not one, as Charles Spurgeon likes to say, not one dust moat floats through the air apart from God's sovereign sustaining it and moving it along in its course. And now that we have uh, super microscopes, super electron microscopes, we could say not one neuron, not one neutrino, not one atom, not one electron is going about on its course apart from God's sovereign hand. Yeah, let's turn to Daniel. And now we're going to get into uh, large groups of people, specifically governments. Daniel 10. Daniel 10, verse 13, it says this.
But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for twenty-one days, and then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now if we read that narrative surrounding this section, all of Daniel 10, what you'll be aware of is that, you know, this angel was coming to Daniel, but he is withheld for 21 days by these uh uh, the kings of Persia, which would mean like rulers, kings of Persia. And I believe what this section is describing is angelic forces. So you have this angelic being who is authorized and sent by God when Daniel starts praying 21 days ago uh, to be sent to Daniel right away to answer his prayers. But this angel is delayed by these rulers over the kingdom of Persia. And that would mean angels with, with power and authority. This angel is delayed by these other angels for 21 days. And God's aware of all this. God sends that. Okay, so this is what's going on. God sends this angel. He's delayed for 21 days according to God's decree and design. And then God's going to send Michael at the appointed time, right at 21 days. And Michael's going to come and allow this other, this first angel, angel messenger to finally reach to Daniel to give him the message from God that you know, we're all supposed to have, that Daniel's supposed to have and for all of us to read and to be benefited with the knowledge of, of uh, future events, somewhat. And this this is just mind-blowing to me. This is amazing. Uh, it's, it's so otherworldly. It's so supernatural. Uh, and I think there's so much for us to learn and to, to learn from this reality is that, that God's ultimately in charge, though. The angels delayed by these other fallen angels, most likely, because the world and these other fallen angels are granted authority to rule and reign on the earth for a time. They're the, he's, Satan is the god of this world, and his other fallen angels, he gives power and authority to do things with men, with governments and kingdoms as he, as he wills and wishes, as God authorizes Satan to authorize his other serving angels um, to do what they're going to be doing on the earth with men and with kingdoms and governments. And so this angel comes to Daniel and he encourages Daniel and gives, lifts him up. And ultimately, what happens is, is he describes to Daniel all the kingdom, kingdom, main kingdoms of the earth that are going to come. And he is supposed to basically, this, is, this message is supposed to give Daniel hope and so that he can also have peace in his life and in his thinking and to understand that God is sovereign over all, all the new kingdoms that are going to reign on the earth, all these Gentile nations that are going to reign on the earth. Daniel can trust and understand that God is the one behind all of this and that it's God who's, who's in charge of all of this. This angel says, I've come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people. And so specifically, Daniel's supposed to understand that Israel in the context of what's all going to happen in all these different kingdoms that are going to rise to power on the earth, they can trust and have hope in God and that God's kingdom is ultimately going to come at the end and rule and reign uh, through believers. Israel and the church future to those whom God saves through belief. And he says, so that your people in the latter days, for the, this vision pertains to the days yet future. 
And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And I opened my mouth and as spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of this vision, anguish has come upon me. I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor is any breath left in me. And so Daniel's super weak in the presence of a powerful angel. He can't stand on his own. Then the one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. So then the angel touches him and gives him strength to stand in the angel's presence. So angels are powerful beings. Humans can't hardly stand in their presence. And this is what the angel says to Daniel. O man of high esteem. High esteem. That's the title this angel gives to Daniel. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you and take courage and be courageous. Listen to this message. Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth. And behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. And so he's describing this angelic power that's going to be over the prince of Persia now, and he was delayed by the kings of Persia, the overrulers, over angelic forces, that only Michael could come and tell these angels, let him pass to go to Daniel, give the message. And they had to listen to Michael, so Michael has higher authority and power. And this is all exactly taking place at being described like in great order and detail. It's all coming from God's hand. God's ruling and reigning over all these angelic forces and beings that are intervening and interfering and uh, mingling in the affairs of humanity on the earth. And uh, that's just fascinating to me. It's just fascinating to learn about the spiritual world. Uh, The little few details the Bible gives us about the spiritual world behind our physical one that we, we normally think and live in. So the angel asked Daniel, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. And so after the prince of Persia is coming this prince of Greece. And so that's the next kingdom and the next authority to be allowed to rise up. And and the fallen angels are ultimately overseeing all this. The rising of one nation and the falling of another. God has authorized and decrees that Satan and his fallen angels be allowed to have authority and to raise up nations and to have them fall in their appointed time. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. And then in chapter 11, it, it goes on to describe what's going to happen. So we have God fixes the appointed times and seasons and powers and influence that happen on the earth and and with humans. You can read that in Acts 17, 26. God says, you know, uh, from the time of Adam onward, God has fixed the appointed times for every um, nation and people and their their rule and their space on the earth. Uh, And there's the angelic forces behind that. Excuse me. God gives and God takes away, as Job said. And God is soon to influence King Cyrus's heart 
and cause him, King Cyrus, during the time of Daniel, to send the Israelites back to Israel to be a people once again. You can read that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But after King Cyrus's decree to reestablish Israel, God's plan is, is to let the Greeks come in and rule, and then to let the Romans come in and rule. And Jesus will arrive on the scene during the rule and the reign of the Romans in Israel. Only God can do such things. And when God wants to free his people from captivity, they will be freed. And when God wants to free a human being individually from the snare of Satan so that man can repent and believe, God will free him, illuminate his mind, grant him the gift of repentance and faith, and he will become born of God, not of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but born of God born of the will of God. You can read that in John 1. It's God who grants life, and it's God who gives, and it's God who takes away in everything. It's God who reigns and rules over all things. And he does that through lots of different um, agents and ministers, and we're looking at angels today a little bit. So when God wants to send people into hardship or captivity, they're captured. And when God wants to free them, they're freed. Daniel was encouraged to understand, to take understanding, and to think rightly about these things. To understand what's going on in the world and what's going on behind the scenes. And it would be wise for us to learn what God said to Daniel then. To look to the scriptures, to learn, thank God for the salvation he's granted to us, and that we can study and understand and pray for God to grant you more understanding. We know very little. I I know very little. I know a few things. I like, I like to think that I'm learning a few things and I'm trying to teach others what I, the little that I do know and, in, and grow and to live according to that truth more and more and more. And so if these things are true, I'm learning, like Paul tells Timothy, to have grace, to have grace and be patient with opponents, that there's a spiritual world going on behind the scenes that I don't see fully or understand fully. But I am to understand that that's why God commands me to be, have a spirit of gentleness and to correct those with grace, those who oppose the truth, and to endure and to persevere like Daniel through trial and hardship and through captivity and through when opponents are pushing back against you and trying to throw you to a lion's den like in Daniel's case or into a furnace like in uh, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah's case, but to worship God or that Satan is tempting you, like in Jesus' case, to worship him or to worship the world or to do the, the sinful things of the world, to say, no, I'm going to live for God only. I'm going to serve and worship him. So what does God have for us in this? In all the uncertainties of life, in all of our lack of understanding of government and the things that happen in the government behind the scenes, God is ultimately working. Uh, with with uh, good angels and fallen angels. God, those things are going on behind the scenes. And no matter what happens in this life as a believer, God is working the gospel in us and through us. And I pray, it is my great prayer, that we, as, as a Bible study group and as a church, a community Bible church here in Pierre, that we are growing in the knowledge of the truth, that we're growing in wisdom 
and that we're growing in our understanding of what God has written in the pages of Scripture, and that we are applying that to our lives, and that we are living as greater and greater lights for the witness of Jesus. God does promise to sanctify us, and He is at work sanctifying us through the teaching of Scripture, through encouraging, through the church. We all are here to correct and admonish and love one another, to encourage each other, to build each other up, to teach the Word, to preach the Word to one another continually. I have these things on our lips. Talk about the things of God often and always. God has said to us as believers, we should not worry. Just as he told Daniel, have understanding. Okay, Greece is going to come next. Cyrus is going to let you guys rebuild Israel, but then Greece is going to come. And then Rome's going to come. And then Rome's going to destroy the temple in 70 AD. Uh, the, the message is to take courage and to have understanding that God is sovereign. To wait. To persevere. To be patient. To endure. Endure. To be steadfast. To pursue love and good deeds always. To love God. To serve him only. God is working the light of the gospel in us through the power of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Christ is at work in us, and he will hold us fast to the end. Take courage in these uncertain times during this time of this virus, COVID-19, as we look upward to the King of glory. Give thanks to God for his mighty control and his promise to see us through to the end of the age and to bring us home to glory. Praise the Lord for his goodness. For believers, I want you to understand this. Immortality, resurrection body, immortality is just around the corner. It's just around the next bend in our life. And this is our promise and our hope in Jesus Christ. It's just around the next bend in the road. That's God's, what he wants us to hold on to and to understand. We have true hope. Our hope is fixed on Jesus Christ and that he, fully God, truly God and truly man, in his resurrection proves, in his resurrection power proves that he can resurrect us and give us eternal life just as he lives and reigns eternally in glory. That he will make our bodies just like his, immortal, eternal, and that we will rule and reign with him in heaven one day and on the new earth. It's just around the next corner, Christian. Endure, persevere, be steadfast, be faithful, pursue love and good deeds. Hold fast, my dear friends, for Christ and God holds you fast and nothing can snatch you from his hands. Final word from Jesus. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Think about that. Think about God's sovereignty this week. Worship him, persevere, endure, pursue love and good deeds, and worship him alone. Turn away from sin. Amen.